Let's say, let's pretend that you're a new app that's entering the market. I would argue that the first thing that you need to do is you need to analyze the actual market that you're entering into. Like Jeff was saying, what is the problem that you're solving? Validate that there's a need for that problem to solve it. And look at who the competitors in that space are. Right? So what's the context as you enter the market? Are you an Uber entering a market where there's a problem that people feel and they would like a solution for? Uh, and there is not a whole lot of competition out there for you? Or are you an Evernote entering the incredibly oversaturated note-taking market where you have to distinguish yourself as the authentic must-have note-taking app? Because those are two very different scenarios that you need to plan for and you need to strategize for. Hey, welcome to the UX and Growth Podcast. This is Jeff. I'm a growth hacker at HubSpot. This is Austin. I'm a UX designer at HubSpot. And this is Matt, and I am also a growth hacker at HubSpot. Today, uh, we're going to talk about a study that came out in June of 2014, which, uh, in my opinion, is going to turn, or did turn, a lot of people off who wanted to start their own mobile company. Um, the study said that in uh, an average month, users download zero apps. And what does that mean for growth for your company or you know, if you're trying to take uh, a mobile app and, and grow it in any way? Uh, Austin, why don't you tell us a little bit more about the study and the articles that you read? Yeah, so it's a, it's a relatively straightforward study where basically they were watching on average like how many apps the, each person downloaded per month. And what they found was that actually uh, around 65% of smartphone users will download an average of zero apps per month. Uh, and then after that, you get like 8.4% for one app, 8.9% for two apps, and it just drops off after that. So it's kind of this idea that people are very selectively downloading apps if they're even downloading apps at all. And the key takeaway from the article was basically like, if you're going to be an app, you either need to be one of those special few, or you need to actually be installed on the device from the, uh, the OEM, you know, like from right. the original equipment manufacturer. So like you would want to be a standard app right. on an Android phone or something like that. Cause you can't even really do that with an Apple phone. I'd love to see a study that says uh, how many of those apps are deleted right away. Cause it's yeah. like bloatware by definition. Yes. So um, yeah, I actually, there, there is some information surrounding that. Um, in terms of like blame for, for why this is happening, um, a lot of it is is basically like looking into the like the needs that people have for apps, that there are just more apps than needs that users actually have, at least that's what was presented in this article. And then there was also criticism around the discoverability and the iTunes app store. So it was like, oh, it's like so hard to discover stuff in this app store, that's why people aren't downloading apps. Um, I think that like Jeff to, to uh, go back to your point about like how how many of those apps that are actually downloaded are are deleted and everything like that um, one in it, it, it's actually been found that on average one in four apps that are downloaded will be kept by the user 
So it's like the right. the majority of the apps that of those that that small amount of apps that are even downloaded will go away. I, I believe it was the article uh, that you showed us um, that said specifically like people come in and they download and figure out in the first week like which apps are even worth keeping. Like yeah. that's a normal thing for people to do is like mm-hmm. not even trust that the app is going to be worthwhile. Yeah. So like even if you get to that point where you can get somebody to download your app. Uh, the retention is still going to be difficult. That said, US users on average have twice as many apps today as they had in 2013. So we're becoming a more app-centric uh, people, if you will. Um, that said, um, they actually, nearly uh, 90% of those people use 10% of those apps on a daily basis. So this is kind of what we're finding is that like the overwhelming share of a user's time that's spent on their apps is usually spent with like one or two select apps, some of which may be standard installed on their phone to begin with. So like um, Nielsen found that 70% of uh, US smartphone app usage is actually spent on the top 200 apps. So it's like there's this this certain amount of apps that are basically just completely dominating the space. Mm-hmm. And actually 42% of that time on a per user basis will be spent on the user's top app, right? And so if we look at like what are these top apps, then we start to see Facebook popping up. We start to, we start to see Google as a publisher popping up a lot. Um, and then we also start to see games popping up. So like if we look at Facebook, that's the top app with 114 uh, or 115 million unique visitors in June of 2014 when this study was conducted. Uh, and, and at the time, there were only 160 million total US app users, period. So that's like a 72% usage penetration, right? And then Google is, is the top app publisher. There was, there was another in the Quartz article that we were looking at, there was another study that they linked to where they were looking at the top 25 mobile apps by US unique visitors in June of 2014. And so Google was the top publisher um, and they were representing numbers two, three, four, six, seven, and 16. So that's pretty crazy, yeah. Um, and then it was also found that there are no games in the top 25 despite the fact that games are actually the most commonly downloaded apps. Right. So the idea here is that they tend to spike in popularity and then they decline, whereas like Facebook and Google are more mainstays, like right. they're, they're here to stick around. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that that was, was really interesting. Um, and I, I think that it points to this idea that if, if you're going to create an app, like you have to break into a, a very, very sacred space almost, where it's like you're, you're becoming um, a real staple of whatever your, your user's daily routine is. Uh, and for the majority of developers, like that's actually not, what we're finding is that that's actually not gonna happen for them. Um, in fact, out of the vast majority of developers that are, that are doing it to make money, 67% of them reported that they they weren't even about above the app poverty line so like they weren't even Man. really returning a profit which is interesting so i think that this this what this does is it make a, it makes us think like beyond just the the like the ux of an app and like getting somebody to retain it like the entire way that you attract somebody to an app and the way that you get them to keep the app is i think that it's um 
this data is showing that our assumptions and like the, the process and the way that you go about that are, are a lot of wrong. Like the public's assumptions and like, oh, I'm just gonna create an app to solve for this problem and like get people to download it. Um, and so I, I, I think of, uh, you know, like a, a common trend several years ago was like, um, oh, you know, Facebook was becoming a really big thing. So it's like Matt and I talked about this last night. It's like Facebook's becoming a really big thing. So uh, I'm going to start up a company where, you know, we create like the Facebook of X. Like, oh, we're the Facebook for photographers or <laughs> we're the Facebook for people that like to wear cereal boxes on their head or whatever. Like there was like the Uber thing. The Uber that's, for, that's yeah. what it is today is Uber for X. Like because Uber and Airbnb are like these recent trends. So like, for example, there's actually, this is, I kind of did a little bit of a search on this. Okay. Actually today, like there is an Uber for everything and you can go on product hunt and they have, <laughs> they have a list that's called Uber for X. And it's like all of these things where basically they, yeah. they ripped off like the core idea behind Uber and then, you know, like turned it into their own thing. So like there's an Uber for alcohol, it's called Minibar. There's wow. an Uber for security, it's called Bannerman. There's an Uber for dog walkers, it's called WAG. Uber for movers, <laughs> called Lug. Uber for pizza, push for pizza. This is pretty cool, I downloaded this one. You push a button and a pizza shows up at your door. That's awesome. That's a uh, little side note. Um, that's what Yo is trying to do to save their company right now. They're trying to do push for push for services, and it's just like I believe that this is the new way to do everything. And it's like, but it also it reminds me of what Amazon's doing, which is like push for detergent. And it's like there's so many things that can go wrong. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so, and then one of my favorites is the Uber for private investigators. This is a new one, it's called Trustify. Nice. And like, you know, the, the whole value prop is like, oh, you're sitting at home and your wife says that she's gonna go out and hang out with her, her girlfriends and you're like, I don't believe her. And you like press a button and have a PI follower. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. So there is literally that's terrifying and uh, an Uber for everything. Oh, by know? the way, the best part is a shout out to MoWares.com, um, who offers the service for you to literally. Here's the uh, the headline: Start your very own Uber-like <laughs> taxi service. They just it's Uber <laughs> for X as a service. They have all the infrastructure and they list literally. It says click here. Uh, to see the amazing add-ons we have, and it's a picture of a car, a picture of a shopping cart, a picture of a bicycle, a picture of food, a guy with what looks like a tire iron. Uh, <laughs> it's just everything. Like this, I would not be surprised if the vast majority of these, the reason they're able to do it is because <laughs> this um, technology is just like, you can just buy it. You don't even have to really do that much development. Um, the, the whole backbone for it just exists. So people are like, yeah, I'm gonna jump on board. So MoWares is probably making bank and all these other companies are barely able to like punch through the App Store bubble. Um, if you are thinking about starting your own Uber type company, MoWares is where you might wanna go. <laughs> yeah, so I think that this, to me, this idea that, um, you know, it's, it's so hard, to, it seems that it's so hard to, to get into the app market and to be successful that's one issue. But then I'm also seeing this issue of just like a total lack of, of originality and, and actually um, an effort to, to go through the proper process to really determine like, do we need an app for that? You know, like, is that something that people even want? And to me, like more than, than just discouraging people to create apps, I think that what this actually does is it encourages us to put the proper research in, you know, to create an MVP, to conduct market research, to understand mm -hmm. like, 
Um, is this going to be something that people actually want? And is it going to be something that retains them? Because as of right now, like people aren't really downloading a ton of apps and the majority of what they're downloading are games. And then the ones that they're keeping are like billion dollar brands. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I think that that's a really interesting thing for us to think about when when uh, when we talk about like growth for for obtaining users for an app and UX for for retaining those users, interesting. So in other words, before you build an app, instead of answering the question "Can I do this?", answer the question "Should I do this?" That's because that is correct. equally important. Yeah, yeah. Yes. yes is the answer every time. <laughs> yeah, it is always yes. Yeah. I think I think that like starting with a problem mm -hmm. instead of a solution. Is uh, I mean that's that's like a, a very simple UX principle, mm -hmm. but it it does play into proper growth as well. And saying like, you know, okay, um, did you know I create like this alcohol app because it's like I was like oh Uber is doing this. What's something that Uber is not doing it for? Alcohol. You know, there's that's a solution. But did you even identify if that was a problem to begin with? You're always at a disadvantage. Um, this is something uh, you can read a lot about. Um, you're always at a disadvantage if your idea is a derivative of another idea. Yes. Uh, you just lose a lot of the like. You're first of all, you're never going to be first, which kind of does help you sadly in a lot of situations. Um, but that's something to think about. It's like, did my idea sprout off of someone else's like idea that happened very recently? Like. You may not want to touch it. You know, you, you definitely need to validate. You could be right, but uh, you're probably going to find uh, a lot. It's going to be a bumpier road than you expect. Sure. Yeah, I I think that that's a that's a problem that's like coming up like that where for me like something that Matt and I were talking about last night was um, like if your if the core of your idea is already on the cover of Forbes magazine, it's no longer quite as original as it was in the beginning. You know, so like Uber has a strong value proposition, but they also had a unique style of execution. And those two together, I think, is part of what's pulled them through. As soon as Uber and Airbnb and all of this stuff are getting put on the cover of Forbes and they're circulating through LinkedIn and everybody's talking about like, oh, the top companies in the world today have no overhead. You know, Uber has like this amazing company that's basically a taxi service, despite the fact that it owns no taxis. Airbnb has this amazing like hotel service, despite the fact that it owns no properties. Okay, that's a really, really unique style of execution. Those guys were executing in that unique way years ago. You know, and if, you're, if your idea is like, oh, I'm just gonna carbon copy this and expect that unique execution to carry me through when it's like already in the mainstream public and it's no longer something that's new to VCs and new to the public. Um, I think that that's, that's, where it come, that's where you have to come in and say like, okay, we can't just write off of unique execution. We have to look at our special value prop. Sure. So now that we've put all the negativity of yeah. this study on the table, let's talk about what we can do about this as growth engineers and as UX designers. So I think the first thing to draw to light is that this study is incredibly sensationalized. If you look at the study, it's saying zero uh, app, uh, smartphone users install, or what was it, 60% Yeah, it's of, a clickbait title. Yes, sure. yes, so 60-something percent of smartphone users install zero apps per month. That's only looking at a span of one month, or in the actual study, three months. That's not to say that over the course of a year that 
65% of users install zero apps. That's just not true. Yeah, it's, it's not like static. Like, yes. I'm a zero app downloader. I, like, I'll never download another app again. It doesn't apply, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, it's um, unless you're my mom. <laughs> yeah, sure. Exactly. Sure. Like, and as it turns out, the study is not only uh, Austin's moms who uh, <laughs> were, were, he's only got one, so it wouldn't have been a good sample size anyway. Mm -hmm. Unless you've got two, I don't know much about your family. <laughs> um, <laughs> Excellent segue. Yeah. Um, um, anyway, sorry, Matt. Uh, sure. So with that, you have to also look at the massive scale of the app market, right? Sure, mm -hmm. we're talking about, okay, 30% or, or so users will install an app per month, but that 30% is out of hundreds of millions of users that have smartphones. That's still a massive market that you can target. Yeah, hundred in June of 2014, when this study was conducted, it's 160 million app users. Mm -hmm. Big amount of people. So still plenty of opportunity for users that are installing apps on a monthly basis, if not more frequently. Uh, and with that, this study was also only done on iPhone users, which for Android users, it's probably the same trend, but we don't know for sure from reading the study. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a lot of the it, like um, some of the things you talked about, Austin, like the 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 app store's bad discovery. Mm -hmm. It's the Apple app store. Like that's it, correct. It's like that's yes. we don't actually know like how you know Google Play um, handles that kind of thing. Uh, it's probably similar though. Sure. sure. Yeah, I mean, I think that the 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 large criticism for like app store discovery does revolve around the Apple app store. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that's a good point. Mm -hmm. Sure. So. Uh, what can you do about this? Let's say, let's pretend that you're a new app that's entering the market. I would argue that the first thing that you need to do is you need to analyze the actual market that you're entering into. Like Jeff was saying, what is the problem that you're solving? Validate that there's a need for that problem to solve it. And look at who the competitors in that space are. Right. So what's the context as you enter the market? Are you an Uber entering a market where there's a problem that people feel and they would like a solution for? Uh, and there is not a whole lot of competition out there for you? Or are you in Evernote, entering the incredibly oversaturated note-taking market where you have to distinguish yourself as the authentic must-have note-taking app? Because those are two very different scenarios that you need to plan for and you need to strategize for, right? You'll have a much easier time, I would argue, if you are solving a problem that people feel legitimate need for that you've identified and you are first to market like Uber or like a Netflix, right? That's just inherently you're gonna have a better time growing your user base. Yeah. Net Netflix had a, a weird history. Sure. Did you watch the documentary on Netflix? I, I actually have not. You should watch that documentary. Um, interesting. They, they've they gone through a lot of their... So first of all, this is a complete side note. This has nothing to do with what I'm talking <laughs> about. Um, Netflix did not start on the internet. They were DVDs. They were like Redbox. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And like they ended up... like Basically, the internet kind of like saved their company. Mm -hmm. Watch it. Um, I'm, I'm not going to punch in a bunch of spoilers for this because it's actually really good. So you should watch that. The best part is when they tried to offer their company to Blockbuster. Yeah. <laughs> That's ironic. Who? Who are they? <laughs> I don't know who they are. Yeah. I haven't That's seen awesome. in a long time. So, yeah. So you're talking about, like, the proper approach to something like this. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that, like, that, that idea, it's time has come mm -hmm. because... Um, I mean, I think of actually people that I work with that are developing apps that are actually literally, I'm like consulting with people that are developing Uber for X right now. Mm -hmm. And um, I think an important thing of the process that you were talking about was like taking an unbiased approach to that research. Yes. Because a lot of, a lot of what I'm seeing is like confirmation bias. Like 
oh, this is the proper process that we go through to, you know, determine like marketability or to determine uh, user demand or whatever. But then it's like selective interviewing and surveying and stuff like that until you basically get enough to just confirm the idea that it's something that should be done. Absolutely. So you have to look at that context of the market that you're going into. Of course, you have to validate the idea. But then once you're in the market, let's say that you're in the difficult position of entering the note-taking market, as Evernote did. Uh, you have to look at who the competition is, and you have to think about what context are the users bringing in when they're trying to, to, to solve the problem that they have at hand, when they're searching for my app, right? So a lot of users will just be on their smartphone, and they'll need to take a note for something. And then they will search mm. note-taking apps into the, the store. Mm -hmm. And what they're going to get is a listing of the however many note-taking apps there are nowadays. And you have to think about how is my application going to distinguish itself from the competition and show that it is the authentic note-taking app. On the Apple App Store, it won't because you'll never see it. <laughs> that's the domination problem is once you get to that point and you're you know typing in, first of all, I. I honestly believe that when people are looking for an app to solve a problem like that, mm -hmm. they're typing it into the app store. They're going, I need an app for this. I'm going to go there because that's where you get apps for your phone. Sure. And they type that in. And then the domination problem happens there. As they type that in, they get note-taking apps, and they see Evernote, and then like the top three apps before that, I bet people are not scrolling. They're like, oh, Evernote, right. I should probably get this now. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, Unless yes. there just isn't one to meet the demand, yes. which is a rarity. Yeah, yes, exactly. absolutely. So you need to, also, that's an excellent point, because you need to think about what are users actually going to type in. Right. What are their unique problems? Maybe the note-taking app is too saturated and you don't have a chance of distinguishing yourself. Right. You have to find that niche within the note-taking market that's that very specific thing that people are searching for, like note-taking widget app or something like that, yeah. that is more distinguished the app from... Store isn't, the App Store isn't Google, though. So, like... Sure. Right? Like, sure, how, are sure. they, how are they serving? You know what I mean? Like, how can you play to something like that? Do you know? Uh, it's, it's a very difficult thing to do. Yeah, you, exactly. You have, you have to... Uh, again, you just have to think about the niche uh, context that a user will be coming into with their problem. Right. Right? Um, so you have to look at that. And what are the big factors for which uh, of the listings a user is actually going to choose, right? The biggest factors is authenticity and social validation, right? What is the social pressures around? If you're going to Google note-taking apps or if you're just going to search for note-taking apps, you're probably just going to click the one that has the most installs, right? Because we have that pack mentality that's just part of human nature. Everyone else is using this. It must be good, right? Mm -hmm. um, so you have to, if you're coming into a market that does not have that pack leader yet, then there's a huge opportunity for you to become that pack leader. If so long as it's a viable market. Yes. Yeah. If you're solving a problem, like, or nobody has that problem. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. exactly. If you're coming into um, a market where there is that pack leader, you have to distinguish yourself from that pack leader, and you have to make yourself the authentic uh, solution to whatever that niche problem is. Yeah. Right? And then if we go beyond that, uh, you have to also think critically about what are the very, very few limited assets that I have on that app listing page that I can leverage to distinguish myself as the authentic application to solve this need, right? You have your icon, you have the title, you have your brand name and the brand image that goes along with that. Uh, and then you have a couple screenshots and a description. And hopefully people will leave good reviews because of course you built a fantastic app because you're a great developer. Um, you have to leverage those and you have to squeeze every ounce of juice out of those opportunities that you can. Mm -hmm. um, 
And when I talk about authenticity, that is that is not entirely, but a, it's it's mostly a UX problem, I would argue, right? Uh, if you're gonna search for an app, and let's say there's no pack leader yet, and you have 10 listings, are you gonna choose the one that is a very vague title and has like this weird looking icon? Or are you gonna choose the one that looks cleanly made and professionally done, mm. right? You have to think about that. And probably has a few reviews. <laughs> and probably has a few reviews because it's just, it has a better, more appealing uh, value proposition mm -hmm. to it, right? Um, so you have to be very, very thoughtful about the context. You could get a win though. Think about this. Mm -hmm. You choose the most authentic app and then they have a bad experience and they ditch it because that's something yes. that happens very often. Yeah, so that's They're going to come back for the yeah. list. No, let's talk about that. So the few users that you're going to get, the, the few first adopters, which Jeff, you pointed out, is insanely important in this process. Yeah, I didn't point you it out have, yet. You <laughs> have to make... You have we to. talked before this. <laughs> Sorry. Ah, that, that was it. Uh, but you have to make the most of it. So... Okay, yeah. So that's like the big UX challenge around that. Um, like, there's obviously a problem with the initial acquisition. Like, you can't rely on the App Store to do to drive users to your app. Um, it's just, you know, there's there's some bias towards these uh, these leaders already, so you need to find other means. But once you get people in the door, knowing that those numbers are not gonna be very high unless you've got some sort of crazy thing going on uh, with your app, um, that's not that doesn't happen very often. Um, you need to make sure you hold on to those users and you need to make sure that that first experience is flawless. Like, getting those those first people in the door to hang around and like you need to be be creating uh, zealots like right off the bat. You know, social pressure. If you can't rely on um, listing tools, like because the app store isn't Google, um, and people are searching that app store for apps to solve problems. You, you know, you need to play the social pressure card, and you need to get people really singing the praises about your app early. If you know, if it's something that you think can break through um, that bubble, um, but that's. That's something. So this yeah. is this is an interesting question that I have for you. Is like we've talked a lot about people that are searching for apps in the app store. Right. But do we think that anybody woke up one day and searched ride sharing service in the app store? Mm. Or did Uber or Lyft somehow gain traction through another means? Right. Yeah. So those are the big questions. Is like when do people add apps to their phone? Mm -hmm. What are the drivers for that? I think for something like Uber and Lyft, um, they had a boost from PR, no doubt about that. PR does play a part. Like, how do you get people knowing about it? It's not necessarily downloading, but just like getting in front of them. Um, and they, in turn, um, you, you first get people, it's like on their radar, like Lyft. Lyft is a good example, because I knew about Lyft six months before it ever came to Boston. Mm -hmm. When it did come to Boston, I then started hearing about people using it. And like, it's a combination of understanding what it is and then the social pressure around it. I did then download it. Um, they had an advantage too because Uber was really causing, like they were causing, the, they were digging their own graves like at that point because they were they all this bad PR about them or bad press, sorry. Um, and uh, you know, it made me want to download another service that did the exact same thing because like they played the press game. Um, that is important. You need cash for that. You know, mm -hmm. you can't just like 
get that. Um, sure, but marketing and advertising is a is a key player here. Yeah, if you have the the and the of cash course for it. of course Uber had uh, some of the largest startup stage investments in history, with a value an early valuation of over a billion dollars, but they had to do something to get to that point, you know. And I think my approximation would be that maybe we have two different categories of apps, you know, like the. Um, the app where where it's something that people would naturally search for, for a problem that they know that they have and you're seeking to solve for that. And then the app that that is, I think, has a little bit more opportunity um, and that grows a little more organically uh, based off of its strong, unique value proposition that is a, solving a problem that people didn't know that they have. Nobody knew that their life sucked without Facebook until Facebook came, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Here's another thing. Um, I think there's one uh, kind of off to the side way that people download apps, and that is to complement services that they're already using. So you have an advantage if you already, like Facebook. Mm -hmm. Facebook, you can kind of put in two buckets. You can put it in the FOMO bucket. FOMO, by the way, fear of missing out, is super important for mobile apps. Um, with Facebook, uh, Facebook is a great example because you... You're only going to download an app if, with a web service attached to it or some sort of non-phone service attached. If you feel like the time between when you're on the desktop and not, like you still need to be attached. You know what I mean? And Facebook does that. Like you got the mobile app because when you can't get in front of your your computer, you still want to get those notifications. You're afraid of missing what's going on in those um, business type things. Slack. Slack is a huge one. Why did Slack grow so fast? Because like it's kind of like HipChat too in the same way. Um, we all have HipChat installed on our phones, and it's because even when you're not on your computer, you still need that because things still happen. Whether and, and like, you've always got your phone on you, so like that seems like a no-brainer, you know. Um, you do have an advantage if you have a, a web service or something that's like you're required. A business um, apps, CRM apps. Um, like if you're if you're using HubSpot, like you download the HubSpot mobile app because like you're always gonna want to see what's going on. Um, yeah. And that's, I wouldn't call that social pressure so much as FOMO, I suppose. And of course you have the massive advantage that you already have a user base that you can leverage. Yes. That's true. So yeah, Facebook with 1.1 billion users mm -hmm. and then 115 million app users that they've converted from their site. This is, uh, this is actually like a, a really strong trend right now in that we are becoming multi screen, multi-device mm -hmm. users. So if you look at the top 25 mobile apps that were, uh, that were studied during the time, uh, during June 2014, when they conducted the study that, that we were talking about earlier, I mean, we're talking Facebook, YouTube, Pandora, um, Netflix, uh, Pinterest, eBay, like these, all like especially Netflix is an excellent example of that. Like you've got Netflix with 27.6 million unique visitors in the month of June 2014 and they're a TV service basically. They're like a live streaming service. So I think that having like the the support of ancillary content mm -hmm. is an important part of the blended strategy that these companies have. My question is like, 
where do you start? Because like, no, you're not just gonna create, like first you have to, you have to find like that gap in the market and that opportunity, but then you're not just gonna like shit out a Netflix, you know? So like there's a lot of, there's a lot of people that are starting with the app, but if we're finding that discoverability is, is such a, a difficult thing to break into with this and, and down, down, getting people to download and getting people to retain, mm -hmm. is app first the proper strategy? Yes. So in that case, it comes down to those early adopters, right? The first hundred to a thousand users that are going to try out your app are absolutely critical. It's like a make or break moment when they try your app. First of all, is your onboarding frictionless? And does it get the dopamine flowing for them? Do they love your app right from the get go? Yeah. Yeah. This like that test can validate whether or not app first is a good move for you too. Yes. Because, you know, some people will build apps um, for other reasons than this will be great on a phone, you mm -hmm. know? Um, and sometimes you just need like that little, you just need to be shaken by the data and just be sure. like, look, like it's not working here. And, but like, you know, you don't need to give up. You just throw it on a different platform. Sometimes desktop, like some people don't, like they take so many years to even develop their mobile apps because they just don't need to. Like this yes. is just not the domain and your idea just may not live there, you know? Mm -hmm. um, Absolutely. Just isn't a terrible thing to it's a maintaining all these different platforms sometimes becomes a pain in the butt. So, mm. you know, sometimes it's like a blessing, mm -hmm. but you know, mm -hmm. that's an opinion. So you need to create that um, incredible, incredible uh, initial onboarding experience for, for your new early adopters and your product needs to have hooks in it that make it naturally viral, right? It has to have those social hooks in it. Yeah. That's like going to pressure your friends. Like, uh, I think we talked about Uber earlier, right. where if you're an early adopter of Uber and you get into a, a cab with a friend in Uber and you want to share the fare, oh, snap, your friend has to download it too, right? And you're probably going to be talking about it because it's this cool, trendy new thing that you have that no one else has. Yeah. So it's the PayPal acquisition strategy. Yes. Where, the, where PayPal's idea in like 2001 or whatever was the way that they were going to get people into their service mm -hmm. was to have them receive money through their service and need to sign up for it in order to get that money out. I know that that's what happened exactly. to me. Mm -hmm. It happened to a lot of people. Sure. And you also need to have some marketing savvy, of course. You can't just be a developer unless it's an incredible idea that just like everyone has to have it. You can't just be a developer that just puts an app out there, doesn't support it, doesn't market to your early adopters. You have to hit them with drip campaigns and email campaigns. You have to keep your brand on their mind. It has to be naturally and socially viral. And you have to engage those users. You have to leverage them to create new users, to, to get that word of mouth uh, factor flowing so that more people come in to try your app. And this entire time that you're looking at this first 100 to 1,000 users, you have to be gathering an insane amount of data uh, almost just on every single little thing that they're doing so that you can optimize those funnels for the new users that are coming in and so that you can hopefully drive more users to come to your service, right? right? Yeah, just don't be a jerk about it though. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, make sure they like it too. Mm -hmm. I think that's really the key is like, there, there's a lot of uh, validating that early is helpful. Um, you know, that's not so much like, I guess in a way it's kind of a UX thing, but at the same time, it's just like a general like startup mentality. It's just like, make sure people actually want Yeah, it's this. just, it's a lean startup mentality. Yeah. Like beginning with an MVP mm -hmm. to verify that this is something that there's even a demand for. Yes.
Yes, right. you'll absolutely be able to do that. That's why it's so important to obsessively gather those data points so you can validate the engagement of those early adopters. Are they using it? Is this solving their problem? Mm -hmm. Are they sharing it, et cetera? Mm -hmm. Right. And then you can hopefully evolve and improve upon your idea from those data points. Yeah, exactly. All right, well, we're, uh, we're kind of running out of time here. So um, I think if you've got to take away anything from this talk, it's if you build it, they will probably not come. Uh, <laughs> So uh, keep that in mind when you're building. But uh, there is your, hope. Yeah, there, there, is, is, there hope. is hope. And uh, especially if you're on Android, because this article doesn't say anything about that. So <laughs> if you build it, build it on Android. Is, uh, yeah, we'll just assume that everyone is downloading Android apps all the time. Exactly. <laughs> build Android apps. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening. And have a great rest of your day. Oh, <laughs> my